This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. Hi, I'm Callie Russell, and I am one of the co-founders of Malsey Insights and now also Lost Stock. What I love about fashion and kind of fashion innovation is there is so much opportunity to change how an industry that has occurred for hundreds of years exists uh, because it's such a fresh place and you know it's such an interesting place to innovate in. So every every day is different, and that to me is the the kind of the spice of life. From New York City, you're listening to Fashion Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the fashion industry. Callie, welcome to the show all the way from across the pond, uh, for us across the pond. You're not across the pond for you, but for us, you're across the pond (laughs) in Scotland. (laughs) Thanks for joining us, man. Glad to have you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for letting me join all the way from uh, occasionally sunny Edinburgh. Yeah, um, the, I'm really delighted to get to tell you a bit of our story. <laughs> you were saying before the uh, we got on on the show, uh, you don't even need AC there in Scotland. So no, I, I I was shocked that you even asked me to turn off my AC because it just doesn't <laughs> exist here. Is the thing like we have fires? That's it. Like we don't we don't have we don't need AC. It's never it's never hot enough for that to be an issue. Well, glad to have you. And also joining us, a very, very familiar voice on this show, of course, who is not, we haven't heard in a while, but definitely belongs here, Mr. Puvin Ball. Puvin, how wow. are you? What amazing inflection. Dude, Mark, great to be oh, back on the mic Should I go on, Puvin Ball, 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 <laughs> now coming, playing second base, 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 anyway. Absolutely. We're going to have to get an auto-tune for me now as well. The, oh, is that right? Oh, see, there you go. <laughs> Everyone should have an auto-tune. Anyway, great to see you, man. Yeah, likewise, likewise. I actually, uh, I, I'm enjoying this digital vibe because I could actually see you guys. Um, it's been a while, Mark. I know, I know. I, I look the same, except probably a good ten pounds heavier thanks to COVID, right? Nah, they they, they call that screen weight. Is that I, I, screen weight? <laughs> I love that looks, so much. It looks like twenty pounds on me, man. So it's no worries <laughs> at all. Well, they say the camera ends ten adds ten pounds anyway, so we'll just say that that's right. what it is. Uh, anyway, uh, great to see you. Great to have you, Callie. Hey, Callie, I think, uh, I think what I'd love to do is start this way. If we could, uh, we, we had you on the show way back when, uh, about Malsey. And now we're here specifically to talk to you about what you've done with this amazing, uh, initiative really called lost stock. And what we really like to do is find out, uh, how you made that transition from Malsey to Lost Stock, or or how you've added that to the portfolio? Well, what really motivated that? What is the genesis of that? That you guys said, you know, we need to do this. So for the last kind of couple of years, we've been running uh, Malsey and, and Malsey Insights, and what we've been doing is we've been using our consumer apps to generate data to help brands and retailers make better buying and merchandising decisions. And our whole ethos is that retail is, is just full of inefficiencies uh, kind of across the whole system. And the, you know, the innovation should come from trying to take those inefficiencies out. We were kind of working through that process and, you know, been working with some amazing clients and then kind of COVID hit. 
And we were kind of working with partners, but we were also starting to read all these stories and these kind of media stories kind of coming out of brands and retailers having to cancel orders from their suppliers, from the kind of manufacturers. And we're reading these stories about brands not being able to pay when canceling these orders and, you know, billions of dollars worth of orders just being canceled and being left in countries like Bangladesh, left in countries like India. And there was this quote that was in one of the articles. It was a BBC article and it basically said, Said, if coronavirus doesn't kill my workers, starvation will. And we were like, wow. that is such a horrible thing for someone to have to feel. And it's just wrong. Is there something that we could do here? And you know, when we think about inefficiencies in retail, one of the things that I always talk about is the inefficiencies of the supply chain and you know, going from manufacturing to the end consumer. So we thought, well, why don't we look at this totally differently? So because the retail supply chain is now broken by COVID, why don't we rebuild it in a new form? And that's where Lost Stock came up with, came out from. And the whole concept of Lost Stock was allowing consumers to buy the products that had been made by other for brands and retailers and then cancelled directly from the manufacturers and ensuring that the money created from that, from that kind of transition of wealth, went to the manufacturers and to the workers on the other side. And the things that we're really good at at Malsey are we're really good with data. And with data, then you can make much better decisions and you know go in through a sort of process. And we're really good at B2C marketing. You know, we've got 1.5 million people who have used our consumer apps over the last couple of years, you know, with a relatively small budget to do that. So the idea came from that. And what we created was a way, if you go to lostock.com, you tell us, you know, what size you are, what age you are, what type of product that you like and you basically buy a box of this cancelled stock so for example in the uk it's it's 35 pounds in the us all in with delivery it's 60 dollars or around about 60 dollars depending on whether your dollar is better today than my pound i don't really know you know it's always kind of changing especially with everything that's happening in the uk these days and the idea being that every time someone bought a box we would use that money to buy stock and then put it through a supply chain. But more importantly, every time someone bought a box, we would support a family in Bangladesh through an NGO partner. And our concept behind this was, let's go and see if we can make it happen. Let's see what consumers' response would be. We uh, launched it with the mission of selling 10,000 boxes, so supporting 10,000 families for a week or generating 10,000 weeks worth of support for families uh, in the first month. And then we were like, if we can get to 50,000 by the end of the year, that would be amazing. That was two months ago. And we are now at 110,000 boxes sold. So we've generated 110,000 weeks worth of support for families. We've been able to support factories. We've been buying, we've now bought from, I think, something like 50 factories kind of in this process. And we've rebuilt a totally different way of shopping. You know, people are buying clothes because like without seeing them, it's a mystery box sort of concept, but it's matched to your tastes. So I love that both of you guys are wearing black t-shirts. You would say to us, hey, I like t-shirts that are black. I'm going to get you some nice black t-shirts that were destined for leading brands and retailers anyway. You get a better deal because you basically buy them without the retail markup. But more importantly, you know what? That money goes to factories, it goes to workers, and it supports that piece through. So, you know, for us, it's, you know, the idea that we could try to create was like a win-win-win. So it's a win for the workers, it's a win for the consumer, and it's a win for the environment because this product then doesn't end up 
in landfill uh, potentially because it can't be kept and it can't be kind of go through that process. Uh, it takes about six to eight weeks for it to be delivered because it's obviously it's a longer sort of supply chain. But the way that we've been thinking about it, it's kind of like a present to future you because you don't know what's going to be in it. So six to eight weeks time, you're going to get a parcel that comes through and you're like, oh, I treated myself back then. So it's a nice thing to do during COVID as well. That's all you've accomplished. That's it. That's it. That's all you've done during COVID is this. I had this conversation. I, like, the, the, first, amazing. The, first podcast, the first podcast I did with this was actually a Liverpool football fans podcast. And I'm a massive Liverpool football fan. And I know <laughs> the guys that run it. So when in the first week, when we were like trying to get as many media as we possibly could, like I, I reached out to the guys there, John Gibbons, and was like, hey, can I come on and talk about this? Because they were doing like a story every week of someone doing something good. And he said exactly the same thing. He was like, I've learned to cook. And at that point, we'd sold 5,000 boxes. He's like, I've learned to cook. You've, you know, you've supported 5,000 families by what you've got to set up. And it's, it is, it's amazing. But what, I, what you know, what you, the first question you asked me at the start of the show was what I love about this is that you can change things in this industry just by looking at things in different ways and having the kind of the gumption to put yourself out there. And the thing for us is that, yeah, look, we've made a great way for people to shop, but, you know, we've, we've generated enough money to support nearly 110,000 families for like a minimum of a week or actually support some families for, a month or six weeks or two months, you know, at a time when so many, you know, in Bangladesh alone, about $2 billion worth of clothing orders have been cancelled. And they estimate about 2.2 million workers have gone without wages because of COVID. And there's not the same support network that there is in the UK, in the US or in many other countries, you know, in these, in this sort of situation, you know, missing these wages, it has a profound effect on people's lives. And we just thought, let's step up. Let's try to do something different. You know, Callie, Callie, you know, going back to the recommendation engine side of things, because, you know, that's ultimately what's going to sustain, I guess, the recurring business that can then support the ecosystem. Because as you mentioned, there is no shortage of, uh, of clothes that are in dead stock at this point. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's quite famous. So on, on the recommendation side, I mean, from what I remember of Malsy, they you're basically using the same tech, right? That was already created for Malsy, and you reskinned it as lost stock. Was there um, what what played into that decision of rebranding as a new company versus uh, keeping it under Malsy and just saying, "Hey, this is a new initiative that we're that we're doing." So for us, the kind of the success of this was to reach as many people as we possibly could. And we decided that a new brand, even though it was using the same technology and the same stuff behind it, would allow ourselves to do that. And it also allowed us to separate parts of the company in the sense of, right, you know, this is the people that are going to be working on this. This is the people that are going to be working on this at this point in time, which is something that we had to kind of take as that, that same sort of offering. I also think it tells a story. You know, the word lost stock, you know, really kind of stuck out to us because what we're trying to do is we're trying to stop a lot of this loss, this stock getting lost to the world. You know, at the end of the day, you know, there's so much dead stock in the world caused by COVID is that there's a huge potential for so much product to just end up in landfill. And that to me just feels like a horrible, horrible way. So what we've also done is that, yeah, we've done a mystery box and, you know, you know, people, you know, can't return. Uh, one of the things that we've done is we've then gone and worked with uh, charity partners in other countries so that once you get your box, if there is something in it that you don't like, we've partnered with people to do free post envelopes so that you can donate it to another charity. What we've also done is we've then partnered with ethical brands. So if you choose to do that sort of route, we'll give you discount codes for amazing ethical brands to help you discover that route through. And on top of that, next week is on our Instagram, we've like partnered with upcycling experts to teach people how to take something that you might get in your box that you don't love and turn it into something else uh, and to kind of go through that process. And I think the thing that's amazing me on this is that 
you know, that innovation and just trying to stitch together a totally new platform from scratch is a really, really interesting place to be uh, at this time. You know, recently on LinkedIn, I, I commented on, so actually Lawrence Lenahan, so for, for those that have been listening to Fashion Is Your Business for quite some time, uh, he's been on the show a couple times, um, you know, came in through the investment route, um, traditional VC, uh, supporting kind of innovations and in technology, and then went on to start a, a company called Resonance. Now, on his thread, a gentleman that owns a, a factory out in Bangladesh had commented saying, you know, what do I do in the terms of um, do I sell my stock because I'm confounded to or confined to um, numerous agreements with my brand saying that I actually cannot sell to anybody else legally? Um, so do I now whistleblow the whole thing and just start selling and try to blow right through that parameter because they're basically stuck between a rock and a hard place. There's no decision that can get him technically out of this uh, without breaking some sort of binded agreement. How are, how are you dealing with conversations like that? So for us, you know, this is a horrible situation that some, some factory owners are in and we work with them to navigate through that. You know, some brands are great in giving a dispensation and kind of giving a letter that allows them to sell it through. I, I don't personally don't think it like people should have to do that uh, because of the situation that it kind of comes in is like, if you've, if you've canceled the order and those goods have been created, then you sh they should be allowed to, to be sold on to other places. What we've also got, you know, in terms of some of the stock that we've bought is these brands had gone into administration and they don't exist anymore. If you Correct. think COVID has accelerated the kind of the death nail from multiple different brands and retailers, you know, if you're one of those manufacturers or factories sitting with that stock, where do you take that? Like, there's no one that can buy that anymore, like, for where that kind of comes down. What we've done and what we've been very focused on throughout the whole process is that those relationships between factories and, and retailers and brands will have to exist post-COVID, you know, for the scale, for everything that goes with that. So we have to be very careful throughout all of that, that those can't be damaged long term. But on the other side of that, I think there is a, a time to rebalance some of these relationships. And I actually realize that things should actually be done in partnership. Uh, and if we remove some of the inefficiencies, you know, the way that I talk about it a lot is that if we could remove the inefficiencies of some of the inefficiencies around buying and merchandising, which is what we do with Malsey Insights, if we could just get better at buying and merchandising, do you know what? We wouldn't have to sit as a retail business and charge 60% margin because we could operate on a lower rate. We could look after our supply chain much better because we don't have all the dead stock that we create in our business or all the discounting that we create because we bought the right things to start off with in, in all of this sort of process. So it is a bit of a minefield for people. We, we You know, the factories that we work with, we, we help them navigate through that. You know, we'll sometimes go and speak to some of the brands and some brands are really great at wanting to help people out. Some brands are not. Some brands are pretty horrible in this situation. And, you know, I think they're all be a reckoning for some of those organizations afterwards but one of the other things we have to do is remove anything that is an identifier so any composite labels that have got name on it any kind of branding anything and we can't take anything you know if you were trying to get me a, sell me a t-shirt that had a company's logo over the front you just can't take that it's just not going to work through for, for, for where that is so it's a fine line uh, and i think a lot of people maybe don't fully understand that uh but it's, it's something that can be navigated if you if you tackle it in the right way. So that means the, the product that you're sending in these boxes are, for the most part, they're unbranded items, like from the tags and everything? 
everything is unbranded. So everything has to be unbranded. So we have to de-label everything uh, to kind of go through that. So so once we get an order, the way that it kind of works is we get an order and we have to batch the orders together. So we call them waves. So, you know, when you order something, I'm not sitting there with all this stock already behind me. I have an idea. This is the stock that is available. This is who's got it. This is the price that I need to pay for these pieces of stock. We batch together like a week's worth of orders. Uh, and then we go to our supplier base and say, hey, this is what we need to fulfill. And then they go through a de-labeling process. So they'll probably then spend the next kind of 10 days, two weeks where all the products have to be de-labeled so that there can be no identifier from that. And then that moves into our supply chain uh, and gets picked and packed. Uh, how sophisticated is So now I'm, I'm uh, so interested right now. Um, <laughs> how, how, um, how sophisticated is your, is your matching program? Meaning like, you're, you're, again, going back to the recommendation engine, is it something like a stitch fix going on right now or is it um or are you working on that to further and further refine it so for, for on the Malsy side like we because Malsy is a tender style yeah. interface like you're talking like you're like that's stitch flex plus level yeah. so the average person who uses the Malsy app will rate around 89 products per session so the knowledge that we have of that consumer and that consumer's browsing habits is absolutely massive yeah. for lost stock we've not gone to that level of granularity like that's something that we will do in the future and like like we're working on lots of different ideas around this. You know, we're sitting here after you know two months saying, "Hey, 110,000 today." Uh, how kind of orders have kind of come in? Like, we want to find a way to continue this and, and continue to do good through this route, but we don't know where it's going to go yet. It's quite organic. We're being led by the consumer to figure that piece out. But for there just now, what we're doing is we're linking it to age profiling, which actually works for us quite nicely. We do a lot of that with, uh, we do a lot of that on uh, Malsy. Uh, so asking people, what age do you kind of dress? And then we're also linking it to, you know, what colors do you like? Do you like prints? Do you not like prints? That same sort of information. Uh, and then we're, every box has three pieces. And, you know, our mission is that you will love one of those pieces in that time. What about the taxonomy side of things um, in terms of, uh, again, going back to recommendations, right? Uh, are are yep. you... Uh, how how fluid is that at this at this stage? So in terms of the product that we're bringing in on the other side, basically manufacturers, factories send us like a, a list of everything they've got that they that they're looking to sell yeah. through, and then we have basically we have built behind that a system where all of that goes in. Uh, we've got two PhD data scientists, so all of that information gets uploaded, and then it basically matches using basically metadata associated to each product. So we'll rate well something like we don't expect the factories to rate a description. We'll rate a bit of description. We'll tag the product. Yeah, because usually that's on the retail side, it. right? Like that's yeah, when so it hits we'll the just, retailer. So exactly. So we'll we'll tag it against that same sort of piece, and then it spits back out a buy list. So our buying team then gets basically a list that says you need to go and buy. 13,000 black t-shirts in this size, this is the ones that you should go and buy at this same sort of point in time. So it tries to take that weight upon it. And again, it comes back to my point that I was making, and it's a point I will make every day, all day, and continue to make. Retail is one of, especially fashion retail, is one of the most inefficient industries going. Like the success of retail businesses today, tomorrow, and you know what, into the future is all about tackling the inefficiencies in your business. And so much of the inefficiency is linked to product. If we get the product right, everything else kind of comes out the other side of it. So for us, this has been a great kind of use case because you know a lot of the, the data work that we do from Malsy, a lot of everything that we've gone through, we provide those services to other brands and retailers. We're getting to do them ourselves. Like we're, we're taking this data knowledge to figure out buying and, and merchandising and, and utilizing, putting our money where our mouth is uh, to help people at the same time. 
Uh, Kelly, I think I think that's incredible. Um, you know, there there's a huge arduous task on the back end that I can only imagine, like how you're playing with the different, I mean, manufacturers because they also have multiple brands. They don't have the technology to hand you over this data set. So as you mentioned, you have two PhD data scientists behind you, but I, I could only imagine the the magnitude of of this. Um, this inefficiency, as you mentioned, is. I mean, it's uh, it's ginormous. So, anyway, um, looks like it's time for break. Yeah, I think it's, it's time I, for break. I, I, but uh, I, but I can't wait to get more into it with you. Uh, up next, uh, you'll hear about how uh, Cali and Lostock is handling entering uh, uh, really a, a new undertaking into an environment that is already crippled due to the pandemic and how do you spool something new up into an environment that's not at its best right after this now here comes a twist i'm going to share serious tips challenges and solutions i'm 36 years old i founded 21 companies i'm an inc 500 awardee one word add drop off ignore this is Naked Entrepreneur. It happened to me not once, not twice, three times. This is going to happen. Write it down. With Eli Ostriker. Right now, let me focus on my logo. Focus on the website. You f***ing out of your mind. Are you crazy? Rated R. Listen, it's a podcast. Naked Entrepreneur. Callie, uh, here you are, uh, you know, spooling a new adventure, a new venture, a new undertaking up that's important and has a lot of impact. But you have no choice but to use uh, fulfillment mechanisms and shipping um, vendors that are uh, maybe not at their best, certainly not at their best in terms of efficiency now, just because of the challenges out there. Maybe they're at their best in terms of strategy and energy. But uh, how, how do you deal with that when you're promising, for example, a six to eight week uh, delivery? I, really, I think this is a question for any new company that's starting to put shipments out into an environment that's already taxed. Uh, given mm. the situation now, thoughts on that? Yeah, so it's it's really hard. Uh, you know, when we started off, we were actually aiming for four to six weeks, and I think we'll get back down to four to six weeks pretty quickly. And that's four to six weeks end to end, from placing an order, from it coming from Bangladesh, from it going through all the way through the supply chain and ending up at your right. door. And that's a, a huge promise. Uh, and uh, everyone in my company would hate me for saying that we'll get back to that level, but we'll get back to that level. It's good to have goals. Yeah, it's good to have goals. Do you know what I mean? Like you got you got to aim for something. You got to aim for something. At the minute in time, we're saying six to eight weeks. And actually, you know, for us, when we first launched, we had this massive wave in the first week. And actually, people in the first and second week are probably going to be about twelve weeks in 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 ten, just because our target was ten thousand. And hey, we've sold one hundred and ten thousand. So you know, it's a bit of a jump up. So you have to change strategy. You have to change plan. We're we're really fortunate on the logistic point. And you know, the question there was partly how does anyone start this? So you need a good partner right like you need a good partner that you trust that you can work with that can help create a supply chain and you need people who have been there seen it done it before if you think you know a lot of the stuff that we've done in, in retail is innovation it's totally new we try to change how someone does something before actually the logistics of this are just logistics 
you know, there's lots of people in the world who have been who've been there, seen it, done it with logistics. You know, moving stock around the world is something that's happened for decades upon decades upon decades. And you just have to find the right partners. Uh, and actually, for us, we're really fortunate because we uh, actually at Malsey, we have one of our Series A investors was Royal Mail Group, who are a massive, well, they're like the, the British logistics company, like the, like the kind of the privatized postal service, same sort of point. And they own like a logistics network across the US uh, and they also own one across Europe. So they've been like our end-to-end logistics partner. So when we first came up with this idea, and what I'd like to say is that we had this idea three weeks before we launched this. So we were like, we've got this idea. We went to them. They were like, this is how much it will cost you to do end-to-end, pick-pack, do all these sorts of things. What do you want to do? And they were like, hey, to make all this work, you have to sell a minimum of 3,000 boxes. Uh, and I phoned them on day two and went, right, I've done, I've done the 3000 and they're like, oh, right, crap. That's quite a lot more. <laughs> we have to, a new plan. We have to do the same sort of thing and then like build that piece up. And they've been a great partner to work with. And, you know, I'm sure it's been an experience for them because we're trying to do some stuff that would probably take six months and we're doing it in like six weeks from like start to finish. Well, and actually that's an, you know, an amazing thing to kind of go through and, and kind of process to kind of come out. When they when they told you something like three thousand is the minimum order quantity or three thousand boxes, are hmm. they talking about the exact same selection? So so no, they're talking about the weight. So the way that they work is that you have to have a minimum weight for us to be able to put stuff on the air freight and to kind of go through this sort of process. And they were like the minimum that we can ship like is like three thousand kilograms. Okay, so that's nearly three thousand boxes for us. It's like three thousand five hundred. And when we started this, our whole sort of thing was, well, look, we need to hit three and a half thousand probably within ten days, or we don't think it's going to happen. And you know, looking back on it, I think yeah, I think we hit it on day two. Okay, wow. so we were then like, right, okay, we need to change this up. We need to scale this up. We need to just accelerate this as much as we possibly could. And we kind of went into this thing, and it's a terrifying thing, you know. On, on two sides of that is that it's an amazing thing, and you know, we're sitting there going, every box that we sell is another family that we can support for a week. It's another three pieces that we're potentially saving from landfill, and that's an amazing thing. But it's also terrifying because you're like, right, how the hell do we do this? Uh, and having a partner there, and like that, that who have been there, seen it, done it, and that you can speak to, that you can plan with. And then we brought on board some logistics people to help us out with that as well internally. And between all of us, we've found the solution. We've got it working. You know, this, you know, today we sent 20,000 tracking links to customers, which is just great to see that going out, to know that they're going to get their box in, you know, the next couple of days. How did you get that initial inertia to, to blow through 3,000 uh, pieces as an order? So we were really fortunate that we worked with some amazing partners to drive traffic uh, and try to get people excited. So we kind of took a strategy of a combination. And what I would say is that we only took orders in America for the first week. So that 110,000 orders is pretty much all UK and Ireland and now Australia and New Zealand. I'll happily say now we've turned shipping back onto the US. So any, I fully expect both of you guys to have bought a box at the end of this. It's now like my customer acquisition strategy. I'm selling, I'm selling boxes one by one to podcast hosts. That's like, that's my whole strategy. It's really expensive as, a, as an acquisition strategy. But the whole sort of approach to it from kind of our side and to get through that, that sort of initial sort of push piece was, 
let's get something up. Let's see if people like it. And how do we kind of figure that through? So we went after media. So we got some really good media pieces like BBC covered it on the day one of us launching it. We also linked that to uh, a lot of kind of asking like influencers, like, would you post for this? Like we didn't pay anyone. We just like, hey, this is this is what we're doing. Would you, would you help us spread the word? And everyone loved this as a concept. And then it just became, I, I hate the word, but it just became viral. So people were just sharing it on Facebook, on Instagram, and just it just it just snowballed out sort of thing for her that kind of got to. And you know, by day five, we were running about two thousand unique sessions on the site all day, sort of thing, uh, with just people kind of going through. And actually, on day six, conversion rate on the website was about twelve percent, and we had to like uh, tweak it to turn wow. it down to allow us to to fix a few things and then lock it on again. But even twelve percent is a pretty uh, large sticking point. It's it's pretty big. <laughs> yeah, massive. Yeah. It was it was pretty big to kind of do that thing. And this is the thing. And what I would say is, you know, we've had some amazing support. And I, I would highly recommend. And I'm not going to say everyone's names on, on your podcast because I don't want to kind of just you know throw that out there. But you know, on the website, we've listed everyone that's helped us, like all the partners. And you know, that is is amazing for us. And we've had a bunch of kind of agencies, maybe social media agencies, there may be PR agencies. We've had lawyers, we've had accountants everyone this is like a total team effort yeah well, we're the ones who are out there day-to-day running it and, and pushing it through and it's our concept but it's being delivered by everyone working together and like just chipping in a little something and to all those companies i would highly re- i'd recommend every single one of them who are on the website on the partners page because what they did at a time when business was hard was that they wanted to help other people and they chucked in a little bit of their time a little bit of their resource and for that i think they should all be massively commended and you know i think they should all win more business out of it but i won't say any of their names just in case i crash crash an advertiser or any other of your commercial relationships let let's let's be optimistic and say that there's a certain point in which we kind of find ourselves emerging from the pandemic things begin returning to some sort of order and quote normalcy and economies and industries start leveling out uh what does that mean for lost stock do you see a, a long-term strategy for this uh that that perhaps transforms into a slightly different existence uh is it more of the same going forward or will the mission be complete making the world a better place and helping people through that that's some like, i'd love that mission to be complete if any of you if anyone out there has a way of just completing that mission please get in touch let's just get that done but you know i think in reality for us it's like the only time that this would actually have worked was during the pandemic because there was the only time when there was all of the dead stock that allowed us to this because you know there was this was the only time when it needed to happen in this way but I think one of the things is it's opened my eyes up and I think it's opened up a lot of consumers eyes about what their supply chain looks like you know how their decisions in Edinburgh or in New York or in Miami and in LA have an impact you know all the way around the world and to me, I think that's a really powerful thing to actually say, well, what could we create there? You know, one of the things that I keep seeing is that, you know, some campaigns and some people, you know, continuously talk about making brands make better choices and that brands should behave better and they should do all these same sorts of things. We've talked about that for decades. Maybe it's just time to make better brands. Maybe that's the thing that we need to now look at. Maybe we need to start these companies from scratch. Maybe we need to actually hold them accountable. And maybe we need to try that out that same sort of side. So, you know, we haven't decided what the, the medium term is yet. We have some ideas and we're starting to kick those ideas around with people. You know, we like to consider ourselves a consumer driven business. So if you think, you know, I talk about data, you know, Malsey's whole life is understanding customers for brands, using data to help them make better decisions. And we've lived that all the way through this. So if I go back to the start of this, 
before we launched, we surveyed like 250 people. So the pricing, like the branding, all these sorts of things tested with consumers. Okay, so that we knew that it all worked. I wanted, I thought the boxes should end up having to be more expensive, but it didn't work. As soon as you, you know, when we put the pricing options in front of people, that was the price that people would buy at. Like they wouldn't go higher and they wouldn't go lower. That was the price that, that you could kind of set that at. And to me, you know, what we end up doing next, and I think we will continue to do something, is that will be linked to well, what have we learned from the consumer? What has the consumer told us? How can we kind of build that out from, from where that sits? You know, for a frame of reference, um, you had sold now, you said 110,000 boxes over the last two months, which is a staggering amount. And it sounds incredible. And it is incredible. Um, Pretty much but, in the UK and Ireland, which is a lot smaller. Yeah. We're about a fifth of the size of the US. Uh, yeah. So I'm now very excited. No, but, it's not a competition, but you guys <laughs> have to sell five times as many boxes yeah. than we did in the UK. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, if if we've learned anything about America is that we love consumption. So, uh, <laughs> so maybe maybe this is the altruistic. And five times of anything too. This is the, <laughs> this is the altruistic consumption that we should all be looking for at this point. Um, however, um, you know, I'm just to, again to get a frame of reference. It's one hundred ten thousand. But if you were to guess, right, how many you know jelly beans are in the jar type of thing. I mean, how many boxes can you make with the amount of dead stock that we're talking just in Bangladesh alone? I spoke to a factory owner, and they, like some of the stories that I'm like leaving, like I'm, you know, I have now and I'm leaving this with. I I spoke to a factory owner the other day, and he had two hundred and seventy thousand jumpers that were made for a retailer. Two hundred and seventy thousand netwear skew. jumpers. One skew. Not one skew. About, about 20 SKUs but okay. for one customer. One customer okay. that's now... I love that somebody thought that it was they needed 270,000 jumpers all at one time. The, I mean, I'm... To, to, that's the, that's but, the auto, auto, winter, auto winter collection. Yeah. 270,000 yeah. jumpers. But that's the scale. Yeah, of factory. course, of yeah. course. The scale. And that's it. And to me, like to me, that there is that, that this guy gets in touch with me, we speak, and I kind of go, oh my God, this is heartbreaking. You know, 270,000 products that he's been left with. That company's gone into administration. He's not going to get paid for that. Okay. And he's going, what do I do with all this? Right. I need, I need to, I need money from this to pay my workers, to pay back the kind of the loans that I've taken, everything that kind of goes from that, because this is the knock on effect of our retail sort of landscape. And there wasn't insurance in place because, you know, that's not traded as a good retailer but he's felt he had to do that deal so that he could keep bringing money into his business so if you think about it that's one factory it's one factory and that is enough stock to do a hundred thousand boxes and there's there's stories like that again and again and again and again and again and this is the other thing is like yeah we're buying dead stock just now but you know the factory owners that i'm now speaking to you know their their capacity this problem isn't a short-term problem their capacity for the rest of the year they're running at like 30 40 percent capacity mm-hmm. 30 40 percent and they've got the materials sitting there, you know, and, and that's because, you know, our consumer habits are not going, are not back to the level that they were before. And they're not going to go back to that level in the near future. So, you know, if we can do things to help through, we should do. Um, so, again, I'm going to challenge you on that question. Um, if there, how many jelly beans are in the, uh, the, the basket? If you were to guess, it's one factory that I talked about. Last time that I saw an update, I, last time I saw something, there was there was still you know six hundred million dollars worth of stock that was accounted for within one database that had been cancelled through. Yeah, yeah. But so, if people if people want to keep buying these, we we can keep we can keep we can you keep can do it forever. I mean, if, if you had a 
yeah. a massive uh, injection of capital, just hypothetically speaking. I'm not saying this is a challenge for you at the moment, but if you had a massive injection of capital, would you be able to scale this up very quickly given given what you were just talking about? Yeah, yeah. The, the model in itself, yeah, of course we could. Like, you know, capital speeds anything up. Do you know what I mean? Would it be the right thing to do? I, I, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Because what I'd actually be much more excited about is I'd love another 100,000 people to come buy a box. Yeah. Like to me, that right, is, right, right. Is, yeah. is even more even more valuable and has a has a much bigger impact because it puts money straight in again uh, for for where that kind of comes out the other side. Or I'd like two hundred thousand. And you know, if we're making it a competition again, you know, five times bigger, America, come on, guys, I need about five hundred thousand out of you guys at this point in time. But that's the thing where I'd much rather do that because I'd much rather be driven by that consumer, that customer, because then I also know that customer's made a choice, and that means there's money going all the way through to support workers on the other side. What is uh, what's the business model behind all this thing? How does it how does it run? So there is full transparency on the website, so you can go and check yeah. it all out. We have uh, I know uh, people talking about transparency at this minute in time within retail, you know, has some connotations. Uh, but what we've done is we've kind of taken the route of let's break down all the costs, let's kind of showcase it all through. So at the minute in time, we operate on a, a kind of a nine percent margin, and that's kind of covering our time, advertising, everything else that kind of comes out the other side. Thirty-seven percent goes to our NGO partner, which means that goes directly through to the worker on the other side and 30% goes to the factory. So that's what we're buying the stock with. And some of that money also makes it through to the worker. And then the rest is the logistics costs, the card processing, all these same sorts of elements that kind of come together. And But for us, again, it was really important to say, this is how much a box costs, and this is how it's all spent out the other side of it to make that really, really clear uh, for how that kind of how that goes all the way through the process. And I think, I think that's the right thing to do. I think more and more brands should do that. Uh, because again... I think if more and more brands did that, though, it would show the inefficiencies that sit within their own business. That means that they have to charge X marketing, X sort of markup because they end up having to discount it. One of the things that sticks out to me a lot is how how often, you know, you know, because of buying a merchandising decision being made wrong, how often, you know, manufacturers and suppliers have to take, you know, have to reduce the price on something by five cents, 20 cents, whatever that number is, and they get squeezed on their margin. And actually that margin just gets given away to the consumer further down the line because the brand didn't buy the right stuff and they had to discount it. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's terrible. The whole system has been broken for a long time. Um, and we started to see it break down as, you know, actually we started to accelerate the inefficiencies when we moved from, two seasons to like, you know, a season every month. So, yeah. Well, one of the big elements of that is those inefficiencies are accelerated because you had a buying team of, let's say 10 people and they were buying two seasons um, a year and now they're buying a season every single month. Like the chances of continuing to have the same success rate when you have to buy double the number of products or triple the number of products and you have to put it across that time, that number doesn't go up. And this is why, you know, I I go through phases where I'm bullish on certain things. I think all of us do. And the thing that I'm bullish on these days is, is native digital-led direct-to-consumer brands that really understand the consumer, okay? Like, that's how companies should be. If you're a big retailer and, you know, if you're a big retail exec listening to this now, please get in touch with me. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I will give you all of my thoughts about how to kind of change up your organization and how to use data and take the same sort of approach. And I love, I love that challenge is actually 
the brands that are going to succeed, the retailers that are going to succeed are going to be the companies that remove all of these inefficiencies. And the quickest way to remove inefficiencies from your retail business is not close stores. It is not make a better website. Get the product right. Understand the consumer. Get the product right. If you do that, everything else comes. I don't know if you have like the, the, a saying in the US, but lipstick on a pig. Is that mm-hmm. an American saying? Does that translate? Yep. Well, it's true. Like so many retail businesses for such a long period of time have just been putting lipstick on a pig. And actually we need to stop that. Like we need to just make better product, make stuff that people want and not stuff that you want as, a, as an individual, make stuff your customers want, understand the customer, connect them to the product. That's how success, that's, that's where success lies. For some reason, I want bacon now. <laughs> I, but, I always want bacon. Like, that's uh, not I, a new feeling. That's right. <laughs> Kelly, like, you know, man, manufacturers, garment manufacturers are, I mean, if you're talking about retail being late adopters to technology, uh, the source of it is is archaic. You know, a lot of these folks are still working on fax machined orders, and that's technology. And I'm wondering, like, what are the minimum uh, requirements that you're looking for in order to even be able to facilitate working with the manufacturer? So we've now created a system where they just, they, they can basically complete a spreadsheet. Uh, like we provide a spreadsheet, they drop in images into the spreadsheet and then they provide very little and little bit of information around that. And then we kind of upskill it into the data requirement that we need on the other side. I think the thing is I found amazing on it is that we, you know, we work with some manufacturers with, with, with Malsey Insights, helping them curate what I call consumer driven supply chains, which, you know, I think the whole idea being like, right, let's, let's build a supply chain around the consumer, what the consumer wants. If you do that with a manufacturer, you've gone early in the process, it's better that all that same sort of element. I think the thing that I find interesting in that is that you do have a lot more kind of old school businesses in this sort of space. The mobile phone is a great leveler. The thing that's amazed me is like just how much gets done on WhatsApp. Like yeah. WhatsApp is just a great way to communicate. You don't have to write long emails, ping things back and forth. You know, I've, I've even had factory owners get in touch with me via Facebook Messenger and just say like, here's the stuff that I've got. Uh, and kind of run that through. And then we work with partners in country to just make sure all the, the, the qualities there all the certifications there like all these things pass mustard and then we can kind of move on for that for that as well like the mobile telephone is uh, you know says such a, like i when i was a student i worked in a mobile phone shop and i used to sell i remember selling the first iphone when they came out uh and oh wow the, the i remember selling ones before that as well like doing the samsung d500 i don't know if you remember that mm-hmm. slid up yep. Yep, silver it was like the silver uh, james yeah, bond one yeah yeah, yeah it had like a 1.2 megapixel camera and that was mm. like the shit at the time yep. <laughs> very much well, the best thing going it superseded yeah. the star text uh, that i had so yeah that's right hey i had the big white phone with a big black antenna on it <laughs> like uh there you go gordon gecko in wall street yeah i i had that in my back pocket as i mowed lawns yeah. well, but this, is, this, is, this is the thing where like you know the mobile phone technology of today allows you to do so much on it do you know what i mean like you can you can do these that's orders right. you can kind of go for it and, and that is a, is a great leveler because actually so many of these devices are relatively inexpensive to be able that's to do right. all these things that come out of the side Someday the kids are going to be going, well, I remember back in 2020 when we could only have 2D on our phones. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, uh, although I guess 3D is here now, but uh, all right. Uh, how about a little bit less lost stock, a little bit more Cali as we play around of our beloved segment off the grid questions, a little more personal with Cali right after this. Do you love 
love to laugh? Do you love great interviews with a lot of heart? Do you like good stories? Do you like to hear about life? Well, good news, because if you listen to a show called Funny People Talking, all of that happens, right, Danielle? All of it happens. Every single thing you said on that list and more. Elsie, does any of it not happen? It all happens. Come on, Elsie. It really happens. Okay, well, you should join us on Funny People Talking on Mouth Media Network. You can find us anywhere you can find a great podcast. And I know it's true because these people loved it. (laughs) Only for a short time while they were listening to the show, Then Life Sucked. Listen to Funny People Talking. All right, we've come to the point in the show where we have this. And now it's time for questions off the grid with fashion is your business. That's right. Off the grid questions where we ask questions that are a little bit more off the grid, a little more personal in nature. We, even though there's just two of us hosts here, we determine the order that we ask the questions by spinning our wheel of grid destiny. Uh, and whoever's name comes up, it asks, the first question. So I'm going to get uh, Pavin, you know, you haven't been on the show in a while. Why don't you give that wheel a big spin? And, and, and it has landed on, well, it didn't work out too well for you. It has come to Pavin. Um, all right. Well, Kali, I, I find that oftentimes when, um, you know, I, I look at a lot of my friends and what they're doing professionally. And I say, you know what? It, that makes complete sense. Right. Um, mm. And there's, clues to their childhood that led up to me being like, yep, that, you know what I mean? And whether their path was, you know, a random mix of ebbs and twists like most of us are, but if you were to look back at your childhood friends or they're looking at you right now, um, is what you're doing in their eyes, does this make complete sense and why? Oh yeah. I love that question. Yeah. It's a really, it's it's a really great question. So I have to reference back to remember I'm I'm Scottish. Okay. And I'm not just Scottish. I'm West coast of Scotland, Scottish. And what that means is that I love my friends super dearly. And you know, my, my group of friends from school, there's, there's, uh, there's five of us. We have a WhatsApp group. We're all over the world. Now we speak every kind of couple of weeks. Like, you know, we do a zoom and I love them all dearly. I don't think any of us have ever been nice to each other. And I would find it very weird if any of them were nice to me or said, well done to me. Like, I'd feel like dirty. I'd feel like what has happened here? Like, this is not kind of right at all. But yes, 100%. I was probably always the the chatty one. Uh, And I think when you're doing anything that's like an entrepreneurial sort of business, if you're going to be the one that goes out there, if you're going to be the CEO, that is going to be 90% of your job. It's going to be doing stuff like this. It's going to be talking to potential hires. It's going to be fundraising. It's going to be, you know, just telling stories and and, and talking about what you're trying to do and and getting people behind your vision. And I think I've always probably had that kind of driving behind that. You know, my friends who, you know, some friends become doctors, have become pilots. I couldn't do that. I don't have that same sort of attention to detail. I want to go after the big thing. I want to change the world. So I think they would all 100% agree that, of course, I would end up doing something absolutely crazy and specifically deciding to start a business that needed a global supply chain in a pandemic and not really think anything of it and just say, hey, let's just go do it uh, because it needs to be done. Because if something needs to be done, it needs to be done. I wonder how many people around the world 
entire destiny has been completely transformed because of the pandemic. I mean, obviously everyone's life has been affected, but how many people have completely started new businesses or their businesses became valid or whatever it is. And they're just, they were going this way. Now they're over here for the rest of their life and what it will mean. This butter, this like magnified many times over butterfly Mm. effect on all of us, Mm. uh, Really interesting. I, uh, okay, I, I think I think you're gonna have a lot more stories about how the pandemic totally ruined people's lives. But I do think you're gonna have these amazing stories about how you know people just did something totally different. And I, I love those stories, and you know I I encourage those stories. And I think you know people you know I I like to think that in, in times of fear or times of worry, that's the time for action. That's the time when you should go and try things uh, because you know that's when you need to sort of thing. And I would encourage absolutely everyone to, to take that approach where, where possible. All right. So my question, I don't know why, but you just inspired this. My question is uh, during the time during the pandemic that you have been uh, quarantined, what pleasure have you either discovered or rediscovered being at home that you denied yourself or had not yet discovered prior to the pandemic? So uh, just before, so in the UK, we had a, and in specifically in Scotland, the Scotland, we had a bit of a longer lockdown. Like we chose that concept of trying to totally suppress and remove uh, COVID. And at the time when we were recording this, there's been no COVID deaths in Scotland now for 12 days. And we're pretty much at kind of like wow. zero community transmission case. The rest oh, of the UK, gross. not so much. They chose to open up yeah. more. And last week in the UK, still about 700 people died in, in England. And I think it's such a horrible situation that they, they went that way. We took a couple more weeks and we did the other side of things. And I think our government should be commended for that, which is not a difficult thing to say. Say, no, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going with this strategy. And I think a lot of people could yeah. learn from that, which is, you know, you've got to go deep as quickly as you possibly could. So as just before lockdown was announced, it looked like it was likely to happen. So I live by myself in Edinburgh City Centre. And I I thought I'm going to be stuck here for the next two to three months by myself. I don't think I really fancy doing that. So despite the fact that I am 32 years old and I have not lived at home for 15 years, I decided to go back to mum and dad's house, which is in the Scottish Highlands. Uh, and I mean, it's in the Highlands. Like they live on the side of a hill, <laughs> big garden, no neighbours, middle of nowhere. So we're lucky we have Wi-Fi here. So, so the, the, the internet connection there is two megabytes. Like that's it. Like, okay, right. So like the chances of me doing this with a camera there was not exactly. I'm now back in the city and I've been back in the city oh, for, I see. for a okay. week but I did I did four months at home and there's two things I probably took away from that is like me and my parents are, are, are close we get on really well but it was great to spend proper concentrated time with them and that is more time than I've spent yeah. with them you know as I said in 15 years and it's great to reconnect I don't think they want to spend any more time with me now but it was nice <laughs> for that period of time <laughs> to kind of do through that right. and then the other thing that I took and I, I absolutely loved is that uh, you know because I couldn't go to the gym I got back into running so I used to run a lot when I was younger uh, and I got back into that as a fitness thing as a clear my mind thing I absolutely loved it so I, I love a challenge so for example like in the month of June my challenge was to run 150k in the month which is equivalent to 5k every day which I like managed to kind of run through and kind of get to that stage of point and actually That's you know uh, you know if we're talking about the, the COVID-10 in terms of weight put on I've actually lost uh, lost a stone uh, in the past four months I found it yeah, to, <laughs> uh, just from getting out and running and, and like running I think is the most amazing way to clear your mind focus wow. yourself and it's it's also yeah. as an as an exercise i have not become totally avid on it although i you know i've probably talked the hind legs off a lot of my team about doing more of it is 
anyone can get up and run. Like there's like, you can literally, any of us can leave the house today and go and run. It might only run for five minutes, but it's the start and it builds and it builds and it builds and it builds. And I look back at the start of COVID, you know, I was struggling to do a 5K. Actually, by the end of it, I've now run uh, two half marathons in the last month and I'm probably going to do my first marathon, like just by myself uh, in the next nice. month, just as That's fantastic. Congrats, yeah. Absolutely. Wow. Uh, real quick, another personal question. Why, why not? Because there's only two of us, so we'll throw in a, a last. Uh, yeah. What If you were to choose a distiller for the rest of your life to only drink their scotch, what would it be? So... This is also a little in. This is intel for Pubbin, by the way. This is—he's not even curious about you. He just so, wants. So this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt. This is going to hurt. So I, I am Scottish. I'm proudly Scottish. I am fiercely Scottish. I don't really like whiskey. It's just not my bag. Like I, I I'm just, oh. just, not, just never, never really taken to it. Like I don't have that sort of palate. But, 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 Pavan, I will still help you out. So. Uh, I would, if I had to go somewhere, I'd probably go for something from Isla or Jura, probably like a Laforgue or something like that. If I had to have my arm twisted into it, uh, but really, the true amber nectar from Scotland is not whiskey. The true amber nectar from Scotland is Iron Brew, and very few people will have heard of this. So Iron Brew is like our equivalent of Coke, but it is bright orange. Okay, and it, number one, it is the most amazing hangover cure. Okay, because it's pretty much just sugar right <laughs> but also really really small fact is that there's only two countries in the world where coke is not the number one selling fizzy drink and one of those countries is scotland because iron brew outsells coke in scotland and the other one is france where it's orangina so yeah like Lafroy and Iron Brew. Don't put them together though, because that would right like, now probably not a great. Lynched. Yeah, you wouldn't be very well in Scotland at all. But highly recommend anyone Iron Brew, uh, and also they have the most amazing adverts. Very Scottish adverts, very entertaining. It's very hard to find outside of Scotland, but if you could hunt down a can, you will enjoy it. All right. So that's I I R N dash B R U. Yes. Correct. Yes. Okay. That's correct. Though, by the way, I didn't just know that. I just Googled that just to be clear. <laughs> I can't believe I'm um, finishing this with an advertisement for Scottish fizzy drink. I just, I just thought I'd get to talk about what we're doing a little bit, and maybe some people would go and buy a box of Lost Dog. But hey, if some people discover an Iron Brew as well, then that's all positive. It's, it's all positive. It all works maybe out. You need, maybe you need to work out a partnership, and in every box you throw in a can of Iron Brew. There you go. See? Right. There you go. Last question there, Callie. How can people connect with what you're doing with Lockstock and perhaps with you directly? So, yeah, uh, please, please, please go and buy a box of Lost Stock. Uh, like, go and buy a box and support a garment worker and her family for a week because you're going to get some great clothes. More importantly, you're going to support her support a family for a week and also you could potentially save product ending up in landfill you can do that just at loststock.com you can also find us on instagram at loststock underscore uh, amazingly after two months i think we've now got fifty thousand followers which i think again just shows the power of what, what we've been building and how oh, much wow. people want to kind of get behind this and, and everything that goes for it uh i'm on instagram as well but i'm just going to post pictures of running so if you want to see scenes of scotland then you can go hunt me down on instagram it's just under my name uh but more likely on LinkedIn and Twitter and also if you're a retailer or a brand and you want to talk about how to remove inefficiencies by using data uh, give us a shout for that as well because you know the Malsey Insights part of our business will we'll definitely allow you to do that uh, and also we've got all the learnings that we've picked up uh, from building Lost Stock over the last couple of months as well. Beautiful. 
All right. Well, uh, Callie Russell, uh, the man, the myth, the legend, coming to us from Scotland. Uh, we do appreciate you taking the time. Congratulations on what you've built and the beginning of what clearly is a much larger mission, an important mission. Thank you for sharing it. Uh, it's very inspiring. Thank you so much for having me. All right. That's it for this uh, remarkable episode of Fashion Is Your Business uh, for Puff and Ball. Shake it easy. I'm Mark Rako. We do appreciate you listening. We hope you stay safe and well. Until next time, have a great day. This has been Fashion Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2020. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard.